Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Teddy Schleifer, in today for Peter Hanby. It's Tuesday, June 21, and today, Puck Washington correspondent Tara Palmieri and I go back and forth on who has juice in Joe Biden's Washington and who really has the power of the purse. We'll hear all about that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Powers That Be Daily. I am here filling in for Peter Hamby, Teddy Schleifer here. And we are joined by Tara Palmieri, our woman in, in Washington, even though right now, actually, I am in Washington and she is in New York, but we will pretend we are all here in the nation's capital. Well, actually, everyone I spoke to today is already gone because Congress is out for the weekend. It is 97 degrees. I... I uh, had a long thought today about whether or not it was appropriate to wear shorts to business meetings. Um, and I read in the Wall Street Journal that shorts are making a comeback. As they should. Question is, when are shorts going to make a comeback? <laughs> I don't know if people want to see me in shorts, but uh, 95 and up, I think shorts are a lot. All right. Um, <laughs> attire aside, you and I spend a lot of time talking with donors and fundraisers and people that raise money for a living in both parties. And you and I have sort of been on the, on the same mind melon about where the party's contributors are right now, who's hot, who's not. And just kind of like what strikes me from, from my last couple of weeks in Washington is just like a malaise. Um, I, I kept expecting when I had conversations with people over the last couple of days that I would hear some like contrarian opinion. Maybe it's like a journalist in me hoping that you find some buried optimism that doesn't make it into the New York Times or into the 538 model or to Twitter. Tell me where you think the Democratic Party's money class, what are they thinking about right now as of June 2022? I did hear today a very optimistic view, uh, at least about 2024. Um, I mean, everyone is very pessimistic about 2022. And that's, you know, Democrats are likely to have a shellacking, but according to this member of Congress that I spoke to, it's been this way since 1900, like 90% of the election since 1900, the midterm after the first term was always handed over to the other parties. But it doesn't necessarily determine that Biden or another Democrat won't be reelected in 2024. But in the meantime, you have a midterm election and it's likely going to be a wipeout and it's going to be devastating for the party. And Democrats tend to be, you know, a bit more hysterical about these things. I think that donors feel, at least from the White House, that they're not getting a lot of love. They're zoomed out. There's not a lot of access to Biden. 
not a ton of access to Kamala, but mm. even though there is access to Kamala and the DNC has done some fundraisers with, with her, they're just not very popular. They're not selling enough. Like they're giving themselves, for example, I reported this last week, the Women's Leadership Forum. They're postponing it until the fall. They couldn't sell enough like 50K, $50,000 ahead tickets, which is a lot of money, but you know. Um, and also people are just kind of like, they don't want to spend $15,000 necessarily for a photograph with the vice president whose polling numbers are really low. And it's looking unlikely that she will end up succeeding Biden. Actually, um, the fundraiser that you reported on um, in California, I noticed on that invite that they're now offering pictures with her photographs. I think it was at 5,000 or 10,000, which is substantially lower than in the past. So they're starting to like kind of discount and I had another source who showed me, forwarded me four invites they got to the same Kamala Harris fundraiser, which means like they're repeat sending them, hoping to get more interest. So yes, she's not a huge draw and they don't have a lot of access to Biden who, you know, rightfully so they're protecting him. He's an older man and they don't want to expose him to COVID. You know, from what I've heard from inside the White House, they're also just kind of trying to preserve his energy and mm. not like push him too hard. But yeah, there's a whole donor class that feels completely ignored. I mean, these people want things as little as like a picture with Biden. Like even members of Congress I've spoken to have said they still haven't gotten a picture with him. Hmm. You know, and these are, you know, Democrats. I know it sounds silly, but those things really matter to people. And there's huge value to it for them. The, the violin is, is, is very, very small, but, but like there is an argument yeah. to be made that like, like this, this stuff matters, right? Like, like it does. And it, it is totally, whether it should matter or it shouldn't matter, the ornamental pageantry of like political fundraising is what keeps the lights on and times good and bad, right? And, and that's, totally. and like, it is politically, you are making a serious mistake to piss off the people who do like the hard work of fundraising. Like, I feel like one part of presidential bundling that I feel like is uh, not to sound like just a suck up to the rich here, but like bundling is a lot of work. And they're not necessarily rich if they're bundling, by the way. That's the other thing. These are some, these, some people are just fundraisers who are tapping into their network of rich people, but they're not necessarily rich themselves. And they also feel like they put in the hard work in 2020 and they haven't even seen anything. They don't get their calls returned. For a lot of people, they're like professional influencers, lobbyists, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, and they want to be able to get their phone calls returned after raising tons of money. And they also feel neglected, I've heard. Yeah, there's like little, I mean, uh, I don't know. Look, I mean, tokens of gratitude um, are important. I was uh, here, in, I'm here in Washington and like two weeks ago, there was this like party that was hosted by uh, a well-known progressive operative. It was a thank you event for the 2020 election, which is now obviously like 18 months ago, right? And, and COVID right. intervened and like it's easy to think like who cares about like having a big party at a, at a soccer stadium, but like people like to be thanked. A nugget that comes to mind that I reported a couple months ago is, is Reed Hoffman, the uh, democratic mega donor sent all of these operatives and, and elected officials, these like challenge coins or like these tokens like six months ago, which basically said, thank you for your work on the 2020 election. It's very easy to be like, wow, just a lame rich guy sending these lame tokens to people. But like these things matter. And I think there's an element of donor politics where people are upset for like legit reasons, like Biden's not moving fast enough on their hopes and dreams, or Biden didn't name me ambassador to Switzerland. That stuff is like, the hard stuff, right? There's trade-offs there and you can't really control how well he's doing as president. Maybe there's a reason to not have Biden name someone ambassador to Switzerland. 
But then there's like the easy stuff and it feels like they kind of screw up a lot of the easy stuff when it comes to uh, political fundraising. I think we underestimate how much you learn about electioneering from high school. And everyone should watch the election with that Tracy Flick. Right, right. Even the fact that, you know, the leadership race in the House is like, in the Democratic side, is like low key happening right now. And you see here, like Hakeem Jeffries was sending um, junior cheesecakes around. Like it's those kind of little things like people, it is a soulless town in a lot of ways, but like at least adding a little touches of like soft diplomacy, you could say, or soft influence that really matters in DC. And I, here's the other thing, like with the zoomed uh, fundraisers, which everyone says, oh, they're zoomed out. You're not really getting that option to kind of like corner the vice president, corner the president, talk to them about whatever your issue is, which is what a lot of people want as well. There's just not a lot of access. And so it's hard to raise money here on the flip side though, Teddy is what I've been told is that actually donors, which are generally whiny complain, want access, want things in exchange for their hard work and money or at least just want a picture, they're not as important anymore, these major dollar donors, that in fact, only the upper, upper echelon matter, like people who are donating millions and millions of dollars, but the people in the middle, like the ones who donate like a million or $2 million or are bundlers, they're just less important because small digital dollars are huge now. The problem is, and I think what we've seen, at least what I wrote about in terms of like Liz Cheney and how she's the shiny new object for Democrats is that like, Small digital dollars don't always go where they're necessarily needed. If they're going to the DNC, then the DNC can decide how they want to spend that money on races. And hopefully they're choosing races where they can actually win. But sometimes people just feel compelled and like because of like some red meat that was thrown out there or like there's a new it person in politics and they'll just donate a small amount of money to a candidate in a race that either can't win, like Cheney in Wyoming who's actually a Republican or like Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, who is never going to win in 2020 or Amy McGrath in yes. Kentucky. And, and people donate directly to these candidates because they saw them on Lawrence O'Donnell and they're like, their heart raced in excitement. And that's great for the candidate, but it's a good for the overall party. And yet the party is also kind of reliant on these digital donors as well. And I think that's why they sort of have like less interest in kind of sucking up to GRP general rich people. <laughs> than like the uber rich and the masses unlike uhnw ultra high net worth yeah yeah exactly i'm, I'm glad yeah. i'm glad someone else made that point because that's that's a point i've been developing also actually dnc if you're listening i asked last week if they could just give me the breakdown of how they're making money how they're oh. making money like what does it look like is it major donors is it returns to mailers or is it digital donations? Like, what is the bulk of your cash? Yeah. And they never responded. You can still respond. <laughs> yeah, you, can send in a, you can send in an audio recording. We'll play it on the next Power Center. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Uh, then I want to ask you, Tara, about just kind of general influence right now in Washington. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back here with Tara Paul Mary for a few, few more questions. Um, one question that I have, and this is totally subjective and reasonable minds can disagree, and that I've been asking during my time here over the last week or two, is just like who has juice in kind of both parties right now? Um, so when I left Washington in, in 2017 to move to San Francisco, I was kind of reconnecting with some Republican sources, for instance, over the last couple of days, who I knew from like the Cruz era when I was in Embed and, you know. They all remember you too, Teddy. Yes. I, <laughs> I feel like I was talking with people who were just like less relevant than they ever have been. And the establishment Republican politicians that had power Back then, like the juice in Republican politics was like the Coke Network and the Chamber mm-hmm. of Commerce. And obviously the, these groups are like totally enfeebled by Trump. So let's just go Republican Party first. Like, where do you think like the juice really is, especially on, on the financial parts of Republican politics in Washington? Who has influence right now, in your opinion, in conservative politics financially? It's interesting because like right now you're kind of seeing a bunch of billionaires sort of duking it out to have control over the future of the Republican party, which I think is always happening, but like, it's kind of like a proxy war for like, is the future Trump or is it a more, you know, kind of mainstream candidate? And you're seeing it play out a little bit with like Eric Greitens. He's got, I think his name is Bernie Marcus from Home Depot has given him over a million dollars. Dick Uline from the club for growth has also given a ton of money to Greitens on the other side, you have Ken Griffin, who sort of sees this, the party as more moderate, and he's been playing his hand in a lot of races as well. Including the Illinois governor's race, which has like no campaign finance limits and, right. and running against another billionaire in J.B. Pritzker. Right. I could be wrong, but I believe it was like $50 million. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. And then like you've got Peter Thiel, who you've been writing about like pretty extensively. And it's interesting, like people are now like naming general consultants, in this case, Jeff Rowe. Naming donors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, these people have become like celebrities. Exactly. Like the general consultants and the donors have become celebrities in a little bit of, in a, in a way, in these uh, midterms. But that, you know, Rick Grinnell, he's kind of like in between the two as well. Like, would you, or would you say Rick Grinnell is like a conservative celebrity at this point? I mean, he, he leads, he speaks at CPAC. Everyone in this world has become like, there's been like the celebrification of the operative class right now where everybody you know, it used to be the principals were like the candidates. And now like you see, you know, operatives, like that, that tweet from Rick Grinnell that you're uh, referencing yeah. was like a graphic that he's tweeting, like that was very polished. And all these people see themselves as like players and to some extent they are like, I mean, you know, he's obviously, yeah. we know these people have power in uh, politics and uh, now the regular normies do too. Yeah. He's a MAGA celebrity, I would say. On the Democratic side, it's, it's been fascinating to think about who is the juice because a lot of the traditional juice comes from these interest groups that don't really get much attention. Like, I feel like unions are like still a huge, obviously part of the democratic party, but like no one really covers what they're up to because it's sort of boring. I've been very obsessed with kind of who in Silicon Valley has juice. Um, Mm. I think the Biden administration obviously has to be somewhat sensitive to the left. And lots of these tech people have become, you know, liabilities or, or at least, or at least you have to be more cautious about how, you engage with them. Like I'm thinking about someone like Eric Schmidt, right? Schmidt's former CEO of Google, super powerful figure in Obama's Washington. Like he's yeah. still powerful in Biden's Washington, but like you're not going to see 
you know, Schmidt and Biden like hamming it up all the time because there's a lot of lefties who hate Eric Schmidt. This is not like the Obama era, right? When, when celebrities hung out at the White House. Like now, clearly the juice in, in Washington is running away from Silicon Valley. And honestly, I feel like Silicon Valley Republicans have more juice than Silicon Valley Democrats because at least Peter Thiel is like a celebrated figure in Republican politics in a way that like Eric Schmidt can never be any again because it's just a different era. The juice, no one really quite knows right now because everyone is sort of waiting to see what happens with Biden and if he runs for re-election. Usually when you're the president and you're in power, like your your team has the juice, right? But it's like kind of a weird moment right now where no one really knows and the backbench hasn't really been decided yet. Everyone's decided that Kamala Harris doesn't have juice. But if you're talking about like Democratic donors who are big right now that are deciding things, I feel like small dollar donors are like really have outsized influence in a lot of ways. I don't know. What do you think, Teddy? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just with the average supporter in Milwaukee is sort of where that person can give $25 every month. Ultimately, I mean, clearly the power is trending away from um, the regular rich people. And, and, you know, it seems like there's sort of a barbell effect in both parties, right? It's more democratic. It's just not necessarily in a lot of ways or egalitarian, but it's not necessarily directed in all the right ways, I would say. Thanks for coming by, Tara. And Peter Hamby will be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. Hello, this is Alex Bigler. And no, today is not Friday, but I am here to tell you that this Friday, I will be speaking with the one and only Eric Gardner on the Powers That Be podcast. Have a question you'd like to ask Eric? Go ahead and email it through to fritz at puck.news. Though, take it from me, he won't give legal advice, no matter how often I ask. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Friday.